0: Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb, and I'm having a good day, man. What about you?
1: Uh, Day's been good so far. Nothing to complain about. And a unending stream of incredible, incredible modern cards. I could just, with just what we've seen thus far from Modern Horizons, you could lock me in a room for the next 10 weeks and I would just sit there furiously scribbling decklists on the walls. Basically driving myself insane because I'd be unable to play with the cards. <laughs> well,
0: what, what do you think is the coolest deck so far that you've come up with anyway?
1: So I don't know if it's the coolest, but like...
0: It's up to just, you, man. You get to decide.
1: Yeah, I I just want to push on Season Pyromancer in so many places. I think it's like a little unassuming, like the stats aren't off the charts ridiculous, but it's the type of card that does everything a fair deck wants. And I'm hoping there's a way you could actually play some fair magic based around a card like Season Pyromancer, but we're kind of putting the cart before the horse here we haven't even started our modern horizons discussion and i'm sure it's going to include a lot of discussion about season pyromancer.
0: Yeah i i just wanted to get that out of the way because i didn't want to forget about it.
1: That's sure. all. What about you what's what's got your uh, brewing wheels turning right now? Uh
0: i'm i'm kind of right there with you on pyromancer and then i am i'm pretty boring i think the card i'm most excited about so far is lava dart.
1: That's incredibly boring, and <laughs> I am disappointed in your answer. But you can tell me why when we actually talk about some individual cards in a few minutes.
0: All right. Well, the the plan for this is to go through uh, the cards that we bookmarked for MH1 that look like they are going to be players in Modern. And then at the end of the cast, since Standard is moving very quickly, and I know that people want to do their best to try and keep up on things, there's Uh, The arena MCQ thing. I I don't know if it's actually an MCQ technically. I think it is.
1: Yeah, I I think that's what I've seen people calling it. And it does qualify for a Mythic Championship. It's the weird arena-only Mythic Championship, but definitely still tied to a Mythic Championship.
0: Right. Well, that is this weekend. So we're going to talk about Standard at least a little bit towards the end. So bear with us. In the meantime, I hope that our excitement comes across because... I like a lot of these cards. So uh, we're going in Wuburg order, starting uh, with Ranger Captain of Eos. This is 1-dub-dub, 3-3, dub, three, three, Human Soldier, Mythic Rare. When this enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a creature card with CMC, one or less, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library, and you can sacrifice Ranger Captain of Eos uh, to have your opponents not be able to cast non-creature spells this turn.
1: Do you know what my favorite type of magic card is it's the one that asks you to make challenging and interesting decisions in all facets of the game and ranger captain of eos checks all those boxes so hard you have deck building decisions you have to make like are you looking to get some value out of your one drops are you doing some kind of tutor package where you want to have really flexible one drops like silver bullets for certain matchups are you just cashing in typical human synergies like Getting your champion of the parish and noble hierarch, which like usually aren't that great much later in the game. Like those are very early game cards. So just doing typical humans type stuff and relying on Ranger Captain of Eos in that shell, well, I think it's fine. I'm not sure that's maximizing the card. And then you get to this other rider on Ranger Captain of Eos, where you get to sacrifice your opponents can't cast non-creature spells this turn. I think there's so many interesting decisions you're going to have to make with that. The slam dunk one is like you see the miracle trigger and you get to cancel out of Terminus. That feels really nice for sure. But I think there's going to be other more subtle stuff like you're playing against Tron and do you want to keep them off playing Karn this turn or playing Oblivion Stone and you're about to make an attack and the only possible way you can you know, get close out of the games if they have settled the wreckage but then your attack is like a point short of lethal is it worth pushing through the damage on this turn i think there'll be more interesting decisions the more you play with this card and that's what i really like about it and then plus there's just a really good white one drop in this set that we're certainly going to be talking about and this is a reliable reliable way to find it good stuff here
0: the only thing i really disagree with is that Champion of the Parish and Noble Hierarch are bad late? I think they're bad top decks when you're out of gas. But you know, if you if you play this on turn two or turn three,
1: yeah, turn uh, two, it looks great.
0: Yeah, and and then you play Champion and another creature, and it's it's just like it's very close to actually having played the Champion on turn one. You know, it, it's basically like those cards are only bad when you run out of gas, and this card helps you not run out of gas. So, okay. I kind of disagree with that notion. It's like if you played humans and you play bugler and, you know, sometimes you hit a champion of the parish or whatever, it's really not that bad. Assuming your hand is still reasonably full. So I do think this card is going to be very good in humans. And the other thing that hits me with this card is, uh, I wrote an article a while back about celestial Kirin and Ugin's conjurant. And this is a card in color that finds part of your combo.
1: Yeah, so, very
0: nice. Yeah, you can also do things like sack this to make them not be able to counter your Celestial Kirin and then Armageddon them. I mean, maybe you'd rather have the 3 3 and play Post Geddon or whatever. But yeah, this, this card does a lot of stuff, likely fits in a lot of places. Obviously, humans is the easiest one because of the creature type. But, you know, people are talking about Martyr and Hate Bears and all these different white creature decks. And then there's the Celestial Kirin angle, too.
1: Sure. And I mean,. There's not a shell for this now, but I think it's worth exploring. The best one-drop creature in Modern at various periods has certainly been Death Shadow. And while this is an unconventional color combination there, there's probably something you can explore if you have really reliable access to your Death Shadows. And I think that style of deck could also do quite a bit with closing out non-creature spells. Uh, if you're like a Mardu-style Death Shadow build and you still have Teamer Battle Rage in your deck, like knowing that's safe is a really big upgrade. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how far you can go with this card. The obvious shells are obvious, Martyr, uh, Humans, but I want to see if you can push it in other arenas. And the suggestion of getting uh, reliable Armageddon's from your Celestial curians is a really cool one, too.
0: Yeah, this also just finds Miser's Walking Ballista, which gives a new sure. angle of attack to a lot of different decks. So
1: Yeah, that's a trick we see a lot in Legacy with the Death and Taxes deck. They now have the Miser's Walking Ballista that they find off Recruiter of the Guard.
0: Yeah, and I love it. It, it looks really good. Uh, obviously, the activated ability on Ballista is not great with Ancient Ziggurat or whatever, but for other decks, that's not really an issue. Sure. Next up, we have Astral Drift, which is sort of a functional reprint of Astral Slide. This is 2-dub enchantment. Whenever you cycle Astral Drift or cycle another card while Astral Drift is on the battlefield, you may exile target creature... If you do return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step, and it has cycling for two
1: dub. Wow. Uh, I love Astral Slide. Of course I do. It's like one of the most frustrating archetypes to ever play against. And uh it was tilting back in the Onslaught era. However, this feels like a bit of a stretch as far as modern goes. A lot of modern isn't always about the small value interactions that typically Astral Slide looks to leverage. Obviously, as the format gets more and more powerful, there's better and better things to blink and just controlling your opponent's battlefield is always going to be meaningful with Astral Slide. So will I try it? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the best thing about so many of these cards is that you have to at least try it. You have to look into it. My expectations are that this might not really fit in with modern context, but who knows what modern is even going to look like come the release of Modern Horizons. There's so much to unpack, so much to do. It still feels like there'll be a lot of combo focus given exactly what some of these cards can do. But if not, then we'll get to push Astral Drift really hard. And, and maybe there's just a broken combo with Astral Drift too that we can explore.
0: The thing about this card that while the text is appealing, what you really need is cycling lands to make this really effective. And mm-hmm. you see things like Choking Tether in in the set. So maybe we're going to see some, some cool cycling cards. Maybe the cycling lands are coming back, but I think that those might be a little too good with like life from the loam. Uh, we have the cycling dual lands, which are a little slower, a little clunky, but basically if you're playing an astral slide or astral drift deck and doing a lot of cycling, eventually you hit a clump of lands and you can't do anything, which the cycle lands really helped you out with. I don't know. It's stuff like that that makes me a little bit skeptical when trying to build around this card. And certainly, like this is a card where you need to see what all the pieces are. Right. But if this becomes a thing, I'm I'm all about it.
1: Yeah, it'll be fun. You mentioned the cycling lands as being too powerful for modern, and I think I agree. Just in like pure rate and what they're capable of doing. But in terms of something to be overpowered in modern, I think that's a good thing to have be overpowered, the life from the loam cycling land interaction, because it's very fair, it's very slow, and there's counterplay available to it. And you know that's a better villain than Neoform, You're Dead on Turn 1, when there's not as many safety valves, although we'll certainly get to safety valves in a little bit. So I, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate on whether the cycling lands are coming or not. We'll see soon enough. Uh, But if not, I I see what you're saying. There's definitely a hole there and you just, you have to keep the action going and without the cycling lands, you will hit a dead patch.
0: Yeah. Graveyard hate has gotten a lot better over the years. So that is certainly a thing that could make that not really be that big of a deal, but I just Mm -hmm. really don't like the gameplay with life from the loam and cycling lands. Like you said, it's slow. It's, it is, very, very mid rangey, and it just takes forever. There's like a lot of dexterity stuff involved,
1: and that's fair. My that, that type so. of stuff,
0: that type of stuff, I would stay away from. You know, like if if we could ban all cards that say shuffle, I would, I would just do that. So, yep. that would be obviously, I'm in the anti life from the lone cycling lands camp, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Next up, we have Giver of Runes, Dub One Two, Core Cleric. Tap another target creature you control against protection from colorless or from the color of your choice until end of turn.
1: So when people talked about Mother of Runes maybe being in this set, I scoffed a little bit. I was like, that card is absurdly good, absurdly frustrating to play against. And I really don't think we're getting anything approaching Mother of Runes. But we got this weird new version that's like, actually an upgrade in some situations and certainly there's downgraded situations as well this is the most obvious this card cannot be a human i have ever seen in my entire life (laughs) yes um which smart totally agree but this seems to open up a lot of territory for the I think there's new meddling mage Thalia decks that can exist because of Giver of Runes and you don't necessarily have to lock into humans. We'll see if the incentives are there to just have like four Giver of Runes in your deck and that pushes you away from humans because you can't rely on that weirdo mana base anymore and you have to do something a little bit more within the color pie. And I think that's interesting space for these creature-based decks to explore, a space that's kind of missing right now. So if Giver of Runes can enable that while still leaving some fun gameplay on the table. I think that's a really good spot to be in. But it seems like it has a lot of the same frustrating characteristics. The big thing is you can actually kill this card after it untaps. Mother of Runes often feels unkillable in a bunch of situations. So that that's the big change here. We'll see if that's enough to slide this far down the power scale. But I still think this card's going to make somewhat of a difference.
0: Yeah, I'm actually not super impressed by this card. I do think it will see play. But the fact that you can always just point a removal spell at it and then kill the other thing, it just removes a lot of the feel bad from playing against Mother of Runes in Legacy, for example, where it's like they they untap with it and it's like you have to use a removal spell, Mother of Runes taps, and then you have to use like another removal spell to kill it before even killing the thing that you actually care about. Yeah. Whereas this, it, it just, it seems so easy to like get out from under that pseudo lock, but... That said, this is a very good one drop in well, like you said, if we're talking about Thalia Meddling Mage decks that aren't humans, those decks lack one drops, like very, yeah. very badly. You have like Thraven Inspector, Mausoleum Wanderer, if you want to go down that route. I, I built a bunch of these decks leading up to MC London, and I would have loved to have access to this card for sure, especially since uh like protection from colorless is pretty reasonable
1: at this point. Yeah, I think but, so
0: too. But I don't think it is just like you know, kind of game ending, game warping like Mother of Runes was.
1: Uh, That's a good thing, right? I I think, like I said, Mother of Runes would be problematic, but this is closer than I thought we were going to get. I'll say that. And uh, I I do think this finds some home as we move through the new modern. All
0: right, next card is a weird one. This is Martyr's Soul. Two dub for a 3-2 spirit soldier has Convoke. And when this enters the battlefield, if you control no tapped lands, put two plus one plus one counters
1: on it. Uh, free spell.
0: And you it's know, just big.
1: You know how we feel about free spells. And I, I think this one seems a little innocuous on its face, but this gets big fast. Like you said, 5-4 for free. You just have to tap some creatures. It's a spirit. That's a very relevant type. In modern, this is a weird spirit. We expect our spirits to do other things, but I don't know. This this seems there on rate, I'll say that.
0: Yeah, I don't know if, if you're gonna be able to do stuff like, you know, play a one or a two drop and then a lingering souls and then this or spectral possession into this. I don't know if this opens up the space for a different sort of white beatdown deck or even, you know, mm-hmm. like a, a turn one spirit into this on turn two. I mean, is is that something that those decks are interested in? This Tarmogoyf type thing. Like, it, I think it is good that it dodges bolts, uh, fatal push does kill it, but they have to work for it, you know? So I think this card is strong. It is definitely powerful. I just don't know where it's going to fit.
1: It's interesting in kind of your bag that you have going on now, your Celestial curin type thing. You get more reliable access to one drops because you have Ugin's Conjurant in your deck. Now, granted, in most instances, you want to save that. But when we're talking about ways to reliably find it stash in the rest of your deck, maybe you can look at playing something like Martyr's Soul. And you get to kind of that that B plan where you do have just this really hard clock that's aggressively coming after your opponent's life total. And you're presenting like typical turn four, turn five kills with your just Armageddon, you know, one-sided Wrath backup plan. Maybe that starts to look a little bit appealing.
0: Yeah. Uh, and there's also like the, the random Mox Amber decks floating around. So mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of different white aggro shells that this could potentially fit into. And I haven't seen really anyone talk about this card, and it does seem strong to me. So if it's free,
1: it's me, Jerry. And this card <laughs> can be free, so
0: fair enough. Uh on to one of the reprints. We have dismantling blow, two dub, instant, kicker to you, destroy target artifact or enchantment. If this spell was kicked, draw two cards. Do you think this will see any play?
1: My instinct is no. I think it is extremely expensive and generally efficiency is everything in modern. I mean, maybe like blue white control can get talked into a copy of this and has a way to reload in the late game. You could see them getting excited about that kind of idea. But I I just think there's such an onus on immediate, immediate answers. Like you generally have to answer that Pyromancer's Ascension right now, or you're just buried after a turn. Um, and the difference between a one or two mana answer and a three mana answer, especially in a format as fast as Modern, means the world. So it, I want Modern to be in a place where this is a very nice card for the blue eye control decks to have access to. But it seems kind of unlikely to me. That's where I'm at right now.
0: Basically agree. There are... Blue-white control decks that have played a copy of Disenchant at times, depending on what the metagame looks like. I've played some decks that have wanted Fragmentize instead. And I think in general, I would err on the side of efficiency, especially when you're talking about sideboard cards. But it is cool that this is a tool that we did not have before and now have access to. So it's there if you want it.
1: Yeah, we'll see if it's going to get any use. I'm going to be surprised if it does.
0: And I'm going to add a different card to our list. I didn't put this one on here. This was probably a mistake, but this is a force of virtue Two dub dub enchantments. If it's not your turn, you may exile a white card from your hand rather than pay the spells mana cost. It has flash and creatures you control get plus one, plus one.
1: The internet was down on this card, man. And the internet's down on a lot of things. Let's be honest. I, I think when comparing it to the cycle, I understand how you could be a bit underwhelmed, but this is a powerful effect. And again, if it's free, it's me. Here's more free spells. Uh, This kind of goes right in with that whole idea of these white decks aggressively getting onto the battlefield, spending their mana, finding ways to push forward an aggressive curve, which just like you can't really do. In modern, realistically, you just end up being worse versions of humans, in most cases, honestly, sometimes spirits, but mostly humans. And cards like this at least take the first step to making those viable. I would agree that this is lower on the power scale than the other forces, but I still think there's probably a place for this card at some point.
0: Yeah, Josh Cho and I have had this irrational love for token decks in modern. He topped it and open with white black tokens and i've written about the deck maybe just yearly at this point i think just like every year it gets some new card and i'm like ooh, maybe uh and this is maybe another one of those cards where it's gonna trick me into playing the deck again but we'll see
1: yeah i i'd really want this sizing to matter a lot like if there was a commonly played wrath that you were just continually getting blown out at And this is your answer to that. Like in the standard context, something like that comes up a lot more. That seems much rarer when it comes to modern though. And the sizing tends to not matter as much. So this seems just more about speed. And it's going to be hard for these decks to really keep up on that axis.
0: But speed is one of the things that like these white aggro decks are kind of missing too. So who knows?
1: Right. We'll see if it's a step in the right direction.
0: All right, on to the blue cards. We have Force of Negation. One UU instant. If it's not your turn, you may exile a blue card from your hand rather than pay the spell's mana cost. Counter target non-creature spell. If that spell is countered this way, exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard.
1: If you had this card right now, how many copies are you playing in blue-white control?
0: Uh, Two main, third in the board.
1: Cool. Uh, I I think that this is an important safety valve. That's... Basically, where I'm at, there's times where you need it. We just did a show a few weeks ago where we talked about how modern had kind of gone crazy, it seemed. Uh, there was a lot of neoform stuff going on. That's trended down a little bit, but what has seemingly picked up is Karn the Great Creator. And getting your opponent to invest 10 mana over a bunch of turns and being able to take out that mycosynth lattice while you're tapped out sounds really appealing to me. Uh, I would bait that play over and over and over. I already think Blue-Eye Control is good. I think it's turned an important corner in the format and it's putting up a lot of really good results. I wouldn't be surprised to see it currently presenting one of the higher win rates in Modern. I think a huge part of that is just like its removal is finally good again. Like Path to Exile is a very meaningful card and for a long time it wasn't. Now that they have that box checked and they're getting more backup in terms of this Force of Negation, I'm really excited about that deck's future potential you know me, there's nothing I'd rather play than a good control deck. And I, I hope this is a big step into getting there in modern.
0: I agree. I think blue-white is very strong right now. A lot of that has to do with Defairy Time Raveler and Narset. And of course. having this card alongside, you know, three, four, five mana Planeswalkers, you can just kind of tap out with Abandon against things like Tron or Neoform and still be fine. That's That's going to be really good.
1: Right there with you. And yeah, I mean, that should have been my headliner with these blue-white control decks, right? Narset, Teferi, these cards are just absurd, particularly Narset. I think Narset is better than Teferi. And I think there's probably times where you may not even play Teferi in blue-white control uh, or the numbers will trend down really low or it'll just be a sideboard card. But Narset seems like a staple going forward. And yeah, tapping out, having Force negation back up could be a game changer for Modern. What do you think about the potential of combos that are on your opponent's turn? And this card being used to protect those combos.
0: I think a lot of the combos just kill your opponent anyway. You're talking about like ad nauseum and right. you can just use pact of negation with that. Uh, there's people talking about playing like through the breach with this card and there is slash was and is it through the breach deck that this kind of helps with. But realistically, you're, you're just talking about using... Uh, like this counter control deck to have more counter spells for mirror matches, which I feel like is fine. I don't know. I, I don't know if there is like some instant speed creature combo that now you have a way to like protect your creature at instant speed. But also you need a bunch of blue cards and I don't know. I, I would I would have to see it. I haven't thought of anything yet, but I'm sure someone will figure it out
1: interesting that you're mentioning blue creature combo although this one's probably not going to happen in instant speed is it what all right next card on the list
0: oh urza lord high artificer <laughs> 70 dollars <laughs> yeah. somehow
1: ambitious uh, ambitious pre-sale price two
0: uu one four legendary creature human artificer mythic rare When this enters the battlefield, create a 0-0 colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact you control. So a little nod to Karn. Tap an untapped artifact you control. Add you. A little nod to Tolerian Academy. And five, shuffle your library, then exile the top card until end of turn. You may play that card without paying its mana cost. A little nod to Temporal Aperture.
1: Yeah, all of that combines to make a very wordy card that does many, many, many things, uh, but definitely a powerful card. And I see people getting excited in a lot of places about what Urza could do for their deck. Uh, there's just like the boring old affinity doing a Master of Ethereum impersonation with mana production abilities and an actual mana sync, which is pretty cool for that deck to have access to. Then you get to Thopter sword shenanigans, where you just draw your entire draw and play your entire deck in a single turn. Yes, uh, that's kind Love of terrifying. It. Very terrifying, actually. And yes, Sword I, of the I, Meek went up ten dollars. Also, probably a good idea. And I, I think <laughs> if Urza is going to really push short of the meek thopter foundry into tier 1 territory. It's going to be because it enables a solid B plan more than anything else. All the infinite potential aside, just like having this Urza based beatdown value engine and letting the deck play in two different modes, that'll be the clincher for thopter sword finally getting some inroads into the format. So two things, one,
0: well three things. One, I like old-school Thopter Sword, where it's just the kill condition in a control deck. That's mm-hmm. not viable. There aren't nearly enough creature decks where that combo, like, bricks them. Planeswalkers cool. are mostly better. Uh, so that makes me sad. Two, it is cool that cards like Urza are making people excited about building brand-new archetypes. And three, we already have a lot of stopgaps for stuff like this in Stony Silence.
1: So, sure. Card.
0: Yeah, I, I think all of this stuff is cool.
1: Yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out. I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm ringing alarm bells. I just think this is a good card and it's worth building around, but it's still a creature, uh, still somewhat fragile. And I'm talking about a three-card combo in Modern with a combined cost of eight mana. That's kind of <laughs> a tremendous investment. But like you said, people are excited. People want to see what this card can do, and you can count me among them. This is one of the more fun cards in the set, I think. And I say fun in terms of like what a spike finds fun. Like one of the cards that pushes you the hardest and asks you to really do some creative deck building.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, next up is the buy box promo, Fluster Storm. Also a reprint. You, instant. Counter target instant or sorcery spell unless it's controller pays one storm. And while I am very happy that this card exists in modern, I do feel like given... Planeswalkers and artifacts and things like that, the Fluster Storm likely won't see very much play unless we're in a very specific metagame.
1: Let me introduce you to a friend of mine, Jerry, and he's a friend you may be familiar with. His name is Niv Magus Elemental, and he is pumped oh! to see a one mana storm spell get in the mix. Niv Magus Elemental is going to be getting big soon. It's It's got to be already be like, what, $60, $70 per Niv Magus Elemental at this point, right?
0: How did I not think of this?
1: Oh, it's the first thing I thought of. Look, I don't actually think it's good, so <laughs> don't get too excited. But that was the first thing I wanted to do as soon as I saw Flusterstorm. I had tried it in Legacy recently. It was fine. But the thing is that like Flusterstorm is actually good in Legacy. That's the real breakpoint. Like you said, I think only in very specific metagames will Flusterstorm be super meaningful. Uh, Some decks are going to be happy to have it as a sideboard option, but on the whole, your assessment was spot on. I don't think Flusterstorm just becomes like the de facto counterspell in the format or anything like that.
0: Oh God, you just, you're going to make me waste so much time on this, aren't you?
1: That is, that should be the tagline of this set. Modern Horizons, get ready to waste your time. (laughs) There's so many cards that have me completely in just building nonsense decks around them. It looks like Niv Magus Elemental has gone up uh, about $0.07. Cents. Well, now you guys know where the next value point is. Just load up on those Niv Magus Elementals. I think I've loaded up on Niv Magus Elementals probably like four times now, quite frankly. So it's, it's not a winning play. I can say that authoritatively.
0: I won half my matches. I will say that. And there you at go. The tour. Very
1: nice. Well played.
0: Yeah, thanks, man. Next card, Factor Fiction. Another reprint. Three U instant. Reveal the top five cards of your library. An opponent separates those cards into two piles. Put one pile into your hand and the other into your graveyard. And don't play with this card because Jace the Mind Sculptor exists.
1: Yeah, there's that. I mean, we see people playing like Hieroglyphic Illumination. And that
0: cycles for one mana.
1: That's true. I've that's also a fake seen. Ops. I've also seen people playing Glimmer of Genius. I think they're probably wrong, but I have seen it. So there, there is some precedent for a four mana draw some cards, and I think there's going to be a lot of rose colored glasses when it comes to Factor Fiction, and people are going to want to play this card. Maybe it'll be a fine uh, one of in the blue white control deck, and it's good going along with Snapcaster Mage. I, I, I don't know. I, I, it feels like this is probably a little bit outdated at this point, but like this card was restricted in vintage for a long time and like it it has some power level behind it. I just don't think it's going to quite get there. That's my expectation. They tried to restrict every divination in vintage. Well that is true. They didn't always manage that list particularly well and some would argue maybe they still don't. So
0: I don't even know it's like on
1: or off the list anymore. Not enough metal work or I'm calling them metal worker. Not enough Mishra's workshop enabled cards. That's always been my stance.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, I like Factor Fiction. I think it is good as a hard card drawer when you're loaded up on counter spells. And if you have anything to do with like extra resources in your hand or in your graveyard, it's cool. But I don't think we really live in that world right now. And especially with Force of Negation, I'm all about that tap out
1: Planeswalker life. So yeah. I won't be trying this card anytime soon. Okay, we'll see if other people feel differently because you know people are going to be excited about this one.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jace is what 150 dollars. So, yeah, <laughs> like options, this is sure. this is a fine budget option. Okay. Uh, next up, we have another reprint: Prohibit One U Instant Kicker Two Counter Target Spell. If its converted mana cost is two or less, if this spell was kicked, counter that spell. If its converted mana cost is four or less, instead.
1: Meh, I don't know. I, I'm just not excited by it. Like maybe there's a spot you could find where Prohibit is the right counter spell to have in your deck kind of threads this really precise needle where Mana Leak isn't what you're looking for and Disdainful Stroke isn't it and Spell Pierce isn't good enough. You always want to keep your counter spells in mind, have your options open, but nothing about Prohibit is really getting me jazzed up and I don't think it really changes much for any, any existing decks. It certainly doesn't inspire me to build new ones. I'll say that.
0: Yeah, I agree with all that. I think the big thing that you want your two mana counterspell to do is counter something when you're on the draw. Mm-hmm. And Prohibit really Go has miss. issues with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, think about this card against like Tron and you just cry into your hand sad.
0: Yeah. And obviously Man Elite goes dead against Tron, but at least you get to defend against turn three Karn, you know? Right. Right. And yeah, Prohibit, I think we'll see roughly zero play, but it is a counterspell. It is a thing that people will consider. I think that you should look for other options. I, th- I think it'll take like maybe two games for you to have like drawn prohibit and have it just be awful it. for you to just yep. be. Yeah. This is, this is not good. Sounds right to me. Uh Onto the black cards. We have force of despair. One BB instant. If it is not your turn, you may exile a black card from your hand rather than pay this spells mana cost, destroy all creatures that entered the battlefield this turn.
1: Interesting. An interesting card. Uh, it feels like another safety valve in weird colors. Like, it seems like this would be sweet if splinter twin was still around like okay i have a a way to deal with that deck now no Um, it's
0: not though because they still have twin on a deceiver exarch or whatever
1: yeah because the exarch wouldn't have entered that at that point yeah this is just kind of very thin
0: you could snipe it at the end of your turn no no you can't Mm -hmm. also well i mean if you had mana you could do that but then if you played a creature your creature would also die
1: so this feels like another very, very situational card, and you can probably find spots where this is meaningful. It's a check on... I mean, what, what are we even checking here? We have to be checking something. Hollow one. Okay. Yeah, this card's probably not very good. I think I think that's where I'm coming to over the course of this discussion. It's, it's just very precise. It only works on certain turns, and it's going to be dead a lot of the times, and that frightens me. The art's dope, though, I'll say that. Yeah. Seb crushing it as always, but just came out of nowhere to be by far the best artist in magic right now. All of his pieces are amazing every single time.
0: Yep. I think that this might see some sideboard play out of like green, black X. If there is, you know, some go wide tribally stuff. Like if there is elves or affinity or hollow one, I think that this is a reasonable card. I I also think that there are games against humans where, you know, they, 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 get out under you, basically, and you want to play like a Tarmagoy for a Dark Confident on on turn two, and this is a thing that allows you to actually keep up with them, and I don't know. Obviously, it is kind of unwieldy, and like you said, a pretty bad top deck, but I don't know. I'm not completely out on this card.
1: Well, it's weird, too, because there's tension, like if you're talking about, like the green-black versus humans matchup. There's a lot of tension to get The most you possibly can out of your cards like because you're just trading one for one right and then at some point you have to stick your confidant and hope that lands and then you can reload but this is going to have a hard time being able to trade resources efficiently like you need your opponent to play more than one creature in the same spot and granted sometimes they'll do that but other times like they'll use ether vials and have better timings and I don't know. I, I just think this card is going to miss a bunch of times and it's going to be frustrating to play with in the same way that Prohibit just has a few too many holes. But we'll see if if decks eventually pick up one of these as a sideboard option.
0: Put me on record as saying that this card will see more play than Prohibit. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I think that's probably a very safe bet.
0: Nice. All right. Uh, next card is Undead Augur, bb 22 You know I love this. Zombie Wizard. Whenever this or another zombie you control dies, you may or you draw a card and you lose one life. You
1: have to. The Sam Black Invitational card, as he gets ready to sacrifice everything with this. This card's dope. I mean, I I hope there's a way to make this work. It's good, fair, zombie card advantage magic. I know that's right up your alley, Jerry.
0: Yeah, this card is gas. Two mana two two, obviously not the, the most impressive stat line, but between this and stuff like uh, cabal therapist, and then you have looting, lingering souls, blood gas type of stuff. I mean, maybe this is all just nonsense, and it's worse than just playing Dredger Hollow one. But I don't know. I'm I'm certainly going to try it.
1: Yeah, I I hope it works. I hope there is a window. I mean, it feels like there's pieces missing. If it is going to be a strategy, like there has to be some huge payoff for zombies. If we get something like that, then you can start talking realistically about undead augur finding some kind of home. It does feel a card away as it stands right now. I don't think you can go to the standard zombies engines that we saw uh, and expect them to keep up in the modern format.
0: I mean, Undead Augur is the payoff, man.
1: Right, but like, what are <laughs> we. Is it, is it just therapists? Like, is that what we're sacrificing to right now? Like, not Souls of Hoggest. I don't know. Yeah, you need something where you're just generating some amount of additional value via your sacrifices. I think that's what I'm missing right
0: now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree. And I mean, there are obviously going to be game States where you can sack your board or half your board to do some stuff, but then you lack pressure and maybe the card advantage isn't relevant in the matchup. Obviously this sort of deck is going to have a super slow clock against decks like Tron, which is basically just a non-starter. So Mm. I don't know, man. I think if if Modern were any other format and I got to play a Breaker in this card, I would be in heaven, and I'm certainly going to try. It's probably going to fail, but whatever.
1: We'll see. We'll I'll see do my best. There. I'm counting
0: on you. I appreciate it. Uh, next up, we got some Sliver action. Dregscape Sliver. 1B, 2, 2, creature Sliver. Each Sliver creature card in your graveyard has Unearthed 2, and uh, this also has Unearthed 2. Which is, which is kind of cool, actually, because you can unearth this and then unearth your other stuff. but
1: And then unearth everything else. Unearth is a powerful ability. All of this is extremely mana intensive. And, like, gem hide sliver, is that the one that gives all your slivers mana producing abilities? Yep. Uh, again, it feels like we're missing something if this is going to be a real thing. Slivers is one of those decks that occasionally just does, like, weird things and comes out and steals a tournament from under everyone and then you play it and you're like how did this ever win uh, but if you get more slivers then we can start talking more reliably about slivers being an option and I think it's cool when slivers are part of the landscape uh, they're unique a little bit complicated they do weird things and occasionally that's very fun in magic
0: agreed Humans is basically a viable tribal deck because it have dis- it has disruptive elements the slivers don't really do that. Mm-hmm. Instead, they, you know, they just kind of like grow and help each other and do wild stuff. So I think the deck either needs to be disruptive, resilient, or fast. And right now it's not really doing any of those things particularly well, but certainly the Unearthed Sliver goes a little way towards making it a little more
1: resilient. Yeah, makes sense.
0: But yeah, like like you said, we'll see. I mean, the, the tools exist. Uh, a lot of the lands that humans uses you can use in slivers you have aether vial collected company all that sort of stuff so it just depends on what actual slivers we get
1: yeah we'll have to keep an eye on that closely
0: onto the red cards we have seasoned pyromancer one rr two two creature human shaman mythic rare when this enters the battlefield discard two cards then draw two cards for each non-land card discarded this way create a one one elemental creature token and 3RR Exile Season Pyromancer from your graveyard. Create two one-one red elemental creature tokens. And worth noting that this is not an if-then. So if you are hellbent mm-hmm. when you
1: cast this, you draw, draw two cards.
0: Two. You're not Sounds making good. any one but still a nice little bonus.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of text on this card. That seems to be the cycle of mythics here. They're humans with a lot of text. Uh, So we'll see if we have a green and a black human come in with a lot of text to round out these mythics. But this one's cool. Like I said, it it just seems to have like applications in any deck that can play it like it's a way to gas back up in humans. And I don't know if you really want to warp your mana base to go as far as getting the exile ability. And you probably can't play it if you don't. But there's new lands coming and maybe humans is looking to do something new. We're talking about a lot of new additions, so it could certainly restructure. But beyond that, there's just like it's fine in typical Dread Shells. It's doing stuff that Hollow One really likes. It's playing well with Liliana, where you're getting into those hellbent states and just doing a great job uh, protecting a Liliana and generating a lot of battlefield presence for very little card investment. And that's exactly the type of stuff that any kind of fair deck really needs to take advantage of right now uh, a way to turn resources into additional resources essentially and this is great in a game where both you and your opponent are playing a little resource light so I, again i think the combination with liliana is a little bit slept on but that's really where i'd start is just seeing what kind of fair jund-ish things i can get done with seasoned pyromancer and then look at the broken applications which i think there might be some mardu yeah i mean that's this is the mardu card right like, this fits so beautifully in everything that deck does Mardu, (laughs) I'm bringing it back. (laughs) You're just doing it. You're sold.
0: (laughs) Yeah this this card is great, man. Imagine just a normal scenario where you know you play this and you get four power for three mana. You do a little bit of filtering, like obviously most of the time you're trying to filter away excess lands, not necessarily filter non lands because then you just end up flooding out. But there are things like Lava Dart and Lingering Souls and fueling your filling your graveyard for Bedlam Reveler, like stuff you don't really mind discarding, which is kind of tight. I think the the exile thing is likely not going to come up super often, but it's just another one of those things where it's like you're this this card helps you just never run out of gas.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's important for those decks. I mean if anyone who watched your deep run with Mardu at that pro tour, you played so many games with just like no resources off the top of your deck. And in those scenarios, a seasoned Pyromancer sitting in the graveyard would have been exactly what you needed to close out the game in a lot of spots. And, you know, that's anecdotal evidence that doesn't say anything yeah, about what modern is going to be going forward. But it's just a situation that often comes up when you're trying to play these fair resource light games.
0: Yeah, this card is nice. I like it. I'm with you. All right. Next card, Goblin Engineer, 1R, 1 to you, Creature, Goblin Artificer. When this enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an artifact card. Put it into your graveyard, then shuffle your library. R, tap, second an artifact. Return target artifact card with CMC three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. What the hell is this thing doing?
1: This is a fixed Goblin Welder, of course. And that was one of the most obnoxious cards of all time. Engineers certainly looking to play a little bit more fairly. What are you doing with it? No freaking clue. Not even a guess. I, I don't know what you're supposed to do with this yet. But all the things it does are the type of things that can pile up to something broken. This is reliable tutoring. So you're able to get the artifact you need in your graveyard there all the time. There exist things like Trash for Treasure, um, where you can get other ways to have a payoff for that artifact. So you need to figure out what artifact you want there. You need to figure out if Goblin Engineer is working as a value engine at that point, or if you're just like, your goal is to get that three mana artifact into play and then do something busted from there. You can do like, hard setups with the Thopter Foundry stuff, like maybe your Grixis Thopter Foundry and uh, really reliably finding those parts and getting Urza in the mix. And this all sounds like a style of magic that in no way will work in modern <laughs> whatsoever. But it, interlo- it like interlocks really well. The pieces all fit together really nicely. So I hope Goblin Engineer can do something uh, and it's not just like a busted enabler for something like Trash for Treasure.
0: Faithless Looting, Trash for Treasure, this card. Obviously, they, they go hand in hand in hand, right? Mm-hmm. What is the
1: most busted thing that we can trash for treasure? I mean, are we going to do a full... We would just pause the pause the cast while we do a full gatherer search right now?
0: Nah, you you type, and then I'll tell you the two that I came up with.
1: Okay, go ahead. Uh, and uh, this, is,
0: this is by no means extensive, right? The first one I thought of was Sundering Titan, a little old school. Old school, yeah. Good against some people. Definitely garbage against Tron. And then the other one I thought about, which could be kind of cool and maybe not the best one, is God Pharaoh's Gift.
1: Oh, that's a weird one. One that I hadn't considered. It's probably worth noting that if we're doing this very early in the game, there's the the taxing one that just came out in uh, War of the Spark.
0: Oh, sure. I, yeah. I'm
1: blanking on the name of it right now. God Pharaoh's Making Statue. All- yeah, making all your opponent's spells cost two more as early as turn three—that doesn't sound too bad to me. Like that's kind of a very nice start for doing some prisonish stuff.
0: Yeah, and this deck could obviously play like a corn engine with lattice, sure, and yeah, there would be an staring bridge somewhere probably. But mm-hmm. yeah, now now I'm thinking about uh, God Pharaoh's gift and Trash for
1: Treasure. What's what's the other Tinker reshape? Uh yeah, that's the one that the old eggs decks played, right?
0: Yeah, so you can reshape into a Lotus Bloom and then the next turn cast God Pharaoh's
1: Gift. Mm, Nice redundancy there. Regardless of what you're ultimately going to do, this is the type of stuff that this card enables. And again, this gets the tagline, get ready to waste your time because this is this whole (laughs) rabbit (laughs) hole that you get to go down. And I mean, look, I, I think it's worth being aware of the fact that nine out of 10 of these fishing, uh, that's not even close, 99 out of a hundred of these fishing expeditions are going to be dead ends. And you should go into that with kind of that idea that you're doing. So willing to waste your time, but where that one pays off, it feels so good. And it's so rare. And I, I promise if you ever figure out an archetype like trash for treasure, the personal benefits are huge. Like you just feel so great that you finally put this puzzle together and I'm sure a lot of people are going to be working on this one.
0: All right. Next card. This And this one, this, this seems like your kind of card. This is Plane Bound Accomplice. 2R, 1-3, Creature Human Wizard, R. You may put a Planeswalker card from your hand onto the battlefield, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end
1: step. Wait, why do you think this is my kind of card? That's the first thing you're going to have to... <laughs> You're going to have to clarify for me. <laughs> I don't know, man. You're doing amulet things. Pretty, I think this is pretty bad. I mean, like, the the best things you could do are Karn and Ugin, right? At least in terms of how much they cost. Maybe there's other ones that I'm just blanking on right now, like old boluses or something. You can ramp to this pretty effectively. I'll say that. Like, I think it's realistic to do something like this on turn two, turn three, almost certainly. It's just it has to be game-breaking because you only get that Planeswalker for one turn. And I'm not sure there's anything that exists presently that is game-breaking. Well, you can you can sneak attack multiple Planeswalkers in a turn. You could. Then you have no cards in your hand. And I, again, I hope those Planeswalkers have paid you off hard enough. And like I said, the biggest payoffs we tend to think of are just Karn Ugin. I, I have to certainly do a gatherer search for Planeswalkers. That's step one. And see if there's any really goofy ones out there that can you know something like chandra Ablaze. I, I don't even know what that card does anymore but there's Ooh, that enough probably draws p- you cards I, I think it does and there's certainly maybe you can chain that into like Simeon spirit guides and use them to do more activations something silly like that step one do a gatherer search look at every planeswalker in modern step two question mark step three profit doubling season yeah, I, generally, if you start talking to me about doubling season-based combos, my eyes kind of gloss over. There's enough of them, and none of them ever matter at this point. So,
0: see, that's that seems like your type of thing.
1: Aren't Aren't you doubling season guy? I could have sworn you were. No, I I definitely have mentioned doubling season in the past. I don't remember which planeswalker it was in context with, but oh, I don't. A- I don't- I
0: wasn't even saying that you've mentioned it. I just feel like this would be a thing <laughs> you gravitate heart. towards. Yeah. No,
1: no. I mean, maybe if I ever start playing Commander, maybe I will be a doubling season guy. But as of now, I, I don't have any real history with doubling season. I don't think I've ever cast one, honestly.
0: Oh, I certainly haven't. Anyway, next card, reprint Goblin Matron, 2R, 1 1, Creature Goblin. When this enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a Goblin card, reveal that card, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library.
1: More redundancy for those goblin engineers. We're finding them every time now. We're going to be loading up that graveyard. Oh,
0: I don't know about that quote unquote combo.
1: (laughs) No, this is probably doing, you know, typical goblin tribal type stuff. Mm, Goblins, another another tribe sitting right on the fringes and matron certainly enables a different play style, right? It's this grindier long game type thing. And where we see goblins occasionally pop up in modern, they're usually hyper aggressive, like goblin grenade type aggressive, right? So there'll have to be some other cards. I think going along with goblin matron, if there's going to be that grindier style, but hmm, anything's possible. We still have a lot of set to go. I'll say that.
0: Goblin matron has seen play twice i think for real once in legacy when there's goblin lackey and aether vile so like yeah. you you have ways to cheat the mana on playing your three mana one one and the other time was alongside goblin bidding which enabled a combo kill and right it let you play this game where you you would just play out these goblins get some value chump block wild mongrels eventually fill up your graveyard and cast bidding and kill them i as far as i know I don't think we have a Patriarch's Bidding type
1: card. I could be wrong. Nothing springing to mind off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, but obviously this card is quite good with Goblin Warchief, which exists in Modern now. So uh, maybe this sort of deck could exist. Still kind of missing Goblin Ringleader for the full on card advantage Mm -hmm. package.
1: Yeah, the big reload.
0: Yeah, but th- there are some other cards that you can actually find that make this pretty nice, so we'll see. Again, this is another one of those tribal things that is like super slow, but maybe good enough. But, you know, Humans is playing things like Militia Bugler, so uh, there's no reason why Goblin Matron can't be a potential consideration, too.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Next up, we have fire Firebolts, another reprint. R, Sorcery. This deals 2 damage to any target. Flashback 4R. I mean, there's, there's a lot of good candidates for one mana removal, right? And I think a lot of the relevant things kind of outsize this. And the games don't really come down to flashbacking things for five mana. So I'm skeptical. I do think
1: that, you know, one copy could show up here or there, but that's about it. Agree entirely. I, I have played this in Legacy before where like I had other one mana removal spells as an option because the meta was so like delver young pyromancer centric that just having being able to pick off more than one of those things was very very important and games often came down to attrition and having the last removal spell the last thread on the board but that's a very very specific situation and i don't anticipate modern getting anywhere near that level of specificity with their metagame i, I think this is mostly going to be a a rare occurrence when you're fire bolting things in modern
0: agreed uh i I, like you, considered it in Legacy, but that was when Deathrite Shaman
1: was everywhere. Yeah, maybe that's the era I was thinking of where it, there, there was just this glut of small creatures that you had to answer, and you often had to answer multiples. I think I maybe played it like in Jund once or twice uh, to good good effect. So yeah, that's the exact specific situation you're looking for. It's not going to happen in Modern. Agreed.
0: Uh, so the card that I actually like and that is basically Firebolt on crack is Lava Dart. Another reprint. Our instant. This deals one damage to any target. Flashback Sack of Mountain. Zero mana flashback card along with Arc Arclight Phoenix. Seems quite good.
1: If it's free, it's me, right? <laughs> This is a free spell. I I am not going to sit here. And naysay free spells, except for the black one, which I naysayed pretty hard. But for the most part, uh, if if it's a free spell, you'll find something to do with it. Obviously, the first synergy that pops to mind is with Arc Light Phoenix. There'll probably be something else at some point. Mardu. Uh, maybe. Are you? I, I, again, sizing matters if it gets to the point where that one damage matters a bunch. I mean like Gutshot has been anywhere from incredible to unplayable over the course of its time in modern. I feel like Lava Dart probably going to take up a lot of the same space. This will see play 100%. There'll be a situation where this is the card you want and it'll be good.
0: If my deck would previously play Gutshot and I decided that the format no longer required playing Gutshot, I would still probably just have Lava Dart in my deck.
1: So you have it above Gutshot in terms of these free one damage power rankings?
0: I th- I think so, unless unless there's like a specific need to kill things on the cheap or whatever, you know? Okay. But yeah, just having this with Young Pyromancer and Arclight Phoenix and even just like, you know, I'll, I'll reload with Bedlam Reveler and then be able to start using these out of my graveyard to kill like the second or third Thalia that they play or any fresh champion of the parish or whatever. Like this card is nuts.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not as good in the early game, right? Like that's the big drawback. And if your deck is early game focused as, again, I think it depends on where we're at on the, is it Phoenix spectrum? The deck has focused on all different aspects of the game at this point, but as it's more early game focused, you may just be more inclined to reliably be returning Phoenix as opposed to doing something like Lava Dart, because you're pretty gated from that flashback cost in the early turns of the game, for sure.
0: Yeah, but it, if this is the card that allows you to return Phoenix with reliability on turn three or flip thing in the ice on turn three, I mean, that is that is great,
1: right? Yeah, you'd probably be willing to pay the
0: cost. Yeah, so I'm, I'm all about this card. I think it is awesome.
1: Yeah, I expect to see much Lava Darting in the months and years going forward.
0: Hell yeah, and that's why... I am excited about Lava Dart (laughs) because it makes all (laughs) the bad decks I want to play much better. There you go. On to the green cards. Force of Vigor, 2 GG, instant. If it's not your turn, you may exile a green card from your hand rather than pay this spell's mana cost. Destroy up to two target artifacts and or enchantments.
1: Dope. Dope safety valve. Again, a really nice removal effect in a format that is often defined by the artifacts and enchantments that are being played A lot of decks going to be looking to take advantage of force of vigor Uh, a lot of i mean any deck that's playing green i feel like it has to at least give force of vigor a look if it has the appropriate number of uh green spells and also this is like this is a good spell to cast you're very happy casting force of vigor against the decks it's good against and that's not something that we should forget about either
0: people were already playing like Creeping corrosion and mm-hmm. fracturing gust, and this is a card that you get to play more than one of and feel fine about. And this is really nice against stuff like boggles, right, where they jam daybreak with two things and think yeah, they're safe. Got this kills leyline of sanctity on the cheap, which is another thing that those decks care about. Uh, so yeah, this this card is excellent.
1: For sure. A lot of applications, just a good spell on its face. And it's got this insane kicker mode where you get to leave yourself some vulnerability. I mean, think about like those spots where previously Affinity was just safe to go for it, right? They just load up onto their Ink Moth Nexus. Now you have Force of Vigor. That game has changed very dramatically.
0: Yep. Next card, another reprint, Regrowth, 1G Sorcery, return target on... I guess I'm going to click on this because it's in French. Return target card from your graveyard to your hand. Just make sure I didn't mess up the wording, even though I
1: know what it does. Yeah, Any card previously restricted in Vintage, Regrowth. Certainly at the time I started playing Magic, this was thought of as one of the most powerful cards in the game. I don't think time has been super kind to Regrowth. I think you can probably find something to do with this, but it's like it's not just a value card anymore. And quite frankly, it never was. Like A lot of its power was just based around everything else that was going on around it and the fact that design hadn't yet matured. But as far as present modern, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with regrowth right now. Thoughts, Jerry, anything you want to do with regrowth really badly?
0: No, I agree. I I think that this card is only as strong as the cards that you are returning. Like you mentioned, for vintage applications, when you're returning Ancestral Recall or Time Walk, yeah, you're Mm -hmm. getting a hell of a deal, right? Because you get to cast these busted cards multiple times. And in modern, it's like, I'd rather have a Snapcaster Mage or an Eternal Witness because the body's actually relevant. So you have similar effects already. Uh, I'm not sure what chopping a mana off Eternal Witness and you losing the body actually does because Eternal Witness was mostly just a value card and it never really was setting up broken things, you know?
1: Right. Yeah, this would have to be in some kind of like spell based shell where you're, you are taking advantage of the fact that it is uh, a sorcery and you can get some kind of cost reduction or you're playing it from your library or something silly like that. And I just don't see it right now.
0: All right. There There are two things I thought of real quick. One is Pyromancer Ascension, Okay. which maybe this doesn't even do anything.
1: Yeah. I, I think if you wanted that, you could just do like noxious revival pretty easily. Right.
0: Right. And I was thinking about like the legacy versions I played that I think did play regrowth because I had accumulated knowledge.
1: Okay. Cute.
0: Yeah. And you know, intuition type stuff, right? The other one is gifts on given, where basically what you said already, I think Noxious Revival is a stronger card to include in gifts piles, assuming that you're not going for like actual value. You know, gifts mm-hmm. these days is more about setting up some sort of combo kill, and Noxious Revival is much better at doing that. And also those decks don't really want to play green mana. So right.
1: That's definitely part of the problem.
0: Regrowth comes with a cost. The cost is that it's green.
1: <laughs> Huge cost in modern, unless you're Primeval Titan. That's fine. Yeah, well. It's fine, Jerry. Everything with Primeval Titan is fine. Don't worry about it.
0: Next card, reprint, Nimble Mongoose. G11, Creature Mongoose Shroud, which is Old this school. creature. This creature can't be the target, of spells or abilities. Period. It has thresh, threshold. Nimble Mongoose gets plus two, plus two, as long as seven or more cards are in your graveyard. This card isn't even good enough for Legacy anymore. And this card was good in Legacy when all the removal was targeted. You know, things like Delver of Secrets did not exist. Deathrite Shaman did not exist. And even now, people are just like, eh, whatever, I'll just play Young Pyromancer instead or Death Shadow, or whatever. Like, we have these
1: options in Modern. It was also good because the sizing mattered, like 3-3 was bigger than other options, and that is not true in modern, where you have things like Death Shadow, or just any of the humans, or a ton of other creatures. This is a card I am glad made the cut. For nostalgic reasons, I do not anticipate playing with a lot of nimble mongooses going forward.
0: It's cute in yeah. in multiple different ways.
1: Well, but that's about it. killing snakes out here doing its business, but probably not carrying the day in modern.
0: All right, new card. This this one is foreign. The name as typed here is Avaltar, which I imagine is not the English translation, but uh, G Sorcery until end of turn target creature you control becomes a worm with base power and toughness 6-4 and the most relevant text, Overload 4GG.
1: <laughs> that is certainly not the most relevant text. This is the infect pump spell of the set. It is a very narrow one. It really only does this one thing. And do I expect this to be widely played in infect? I think it'll be played in small numbers. I think it's good. It's just good enough on rate that it will matter. And Dex will pick this up pretty happily. I I think you just retain all the abilities, right? So something like an Ink Moth Nexus is staying in the air, and it's just bringing across six points of Infect damage. You can't load up too hard on this, though. Weird, weird card, because it feels like you don't ever want to make Infect too good. Like, I feel like that's a deck you really need to tamper down on. But I guess there's other ways of looking at it, too, where, like, if you're worried about Tron doing a lot of damage to the format, then here's a really nice check on it. Make sure Infect's clock is just super consistent and they're always killing on turn three. So it'll be interesting to see how hard this card gets integrated into the Infect builds. But I I think it's just a small inclusion, although one that will matter.
0: So people were talking about this in comparison to Might of Old Krosa. And this is only plus one compared to Might of Old Krosa. And obviously there's Mm -hmm. a, a lot of math Uh, involved in Infect with Noble Hierarch and Mutagenic Growth and stuff like that, where, like, that plus one actually does matter. But the utility of Might of Old matters, too. Like, it is potentially an instant that's plus two, plus two, whereas this, you don't get that. And certainly, we don't have to compare them head-to-head because you can play both if the thing that you decide you want to do is just goldfish as quickly as possible. So... I don't know. I do think that this is going to show up. I don't think that this puts Infect over the top or anything. Like, this is not the type of thing that Infect really needed.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's probably about right. Uh, we'll see how many turn two kills there are going forward. Glistener Elf, Avatar into Might of Old Grossa, GG's. But I, I don't expect it to be a huge problem. I think the deck will retain all of the same vulnerabilities, and this being a sorcery means it's very easy to respond to. So,
0: yep, uh, added another green card on the list just for you. This is Squirrel Nest, another reprint, one GG enchantment, aura, enchant land, enchant land has tap, create a one-one green squirrel creature token.
1: So obviously, best card we've seen thus far. Sure to absolutely take over modern. No, I, this doesn't do anything. But I'm super stoked. There's going to be squirrels everywhere. Me and the six thousand me tokens I currently possess are thrilled that we're going to be chittering all around battlefields and uh, making squirrels all over the place. The the people are going to need you at GP Seattle, man. I'm I'm going to be here. That's that's why I got six thousand of them so I can make sure they are properly distributed. To all of the supporters of the Arena Decklist podcast, you'll all be receiving them as part of your patron benefits if you're at the right level in the future to make sure your squirrel nests are well equipped and ready to go. Dude, inside information confirmed. Hmm. I, I wish. I wish I knew there was this many squirrels coming because I would have gotten 12,000 as opposed to 6,000. I would have <laughs> went even harder.
0: Fair enough. On to the gold cards. We have... Collected Conjuring to you are sorcery. Exile the top six cards of your library. You may cast up to two sorcery cards with CMC three or less from among them without paying their mana costs. Put the exiled cards not cast this way on the bottom of your library in a random order. So it is basically collected company for sorceries.
1: Break it right now, or I'm off it. I'll give I'll give you two minutes to convince me there's something you can do that's better than like a gifts package or any of the other busted combos that exist in Modern.
0: Well, you see, you could hit Restore Balance and Ancestral
1: Vision. Okay. I mean, we, we keep talking about this. Every time you give me a way to cast <laughs> those cards, I get excited, but every time it disappoints me. Uh, and this is also more expensive than the other ways to do so. We're finding two mana ways to cast those cards now.
0: Redundancy.
1: Yeah, at some point, that does matter. I can't argue with you, but I, I don't think Collected Conjuring is it. I think this is probably a bit of a miss.
0: I'm looking up how to pronounce the next card.
1: Oh, don't ask me. There's one thing you don't want me in charge of. It's pronunciation.
0: See, the, the thing with Google is that it's going to tell me, yeah, it's going to link me to a video or whatever.
1: Right. Watch two hours on how to pronounce
0: this card. All right. I think I, I, think I nailed it. Uh, yeah. This is Ice Fang Coatle.
1: Okay, that makes sense. I would have said Kotal, so I'm glad that you actually took the time to look it up.
0: Yeah, and that's what I thought it was, but I didn't want to sound stupid, right? I'm
1: fine sounding stupid. I'm used to it.
0: Yeah, me too. GU, 1-1, one, one, Snow Creature, Snake, Flash Flying, when this enters the battlefield, draw a card. This has Death Touch as long as you control at least three other snow permanents. Please give me some good snow permanence. Please. That, that's
1: what this is all about, right? I mean, like you're talking about a very, very favorable analog to Baleful Strix if you are properly incentivized to play snow permanence. And
0: all right, hold on. I got it. I actually got it. You ready? Go ahead. Teamer snow scapeshift.
1: Sure. If that's what you want to do, Jerry. <laughs> I mean, if you can make that work, I'm, I'm sure it's very interesting but you don't know what snow permanents exist and that's really all there is to say about this card if there are good snow permanents it'll be awesome
0: you got you got your basic lands yes uh this counts as one of them yes oh no at no, least other, three other, other. Mm. Yep. okay that's that's a little bit harder but at the very least you know flash flying draw card that's that's not a
1: bad floor is that good is is that okay like are we willing to take that
0: I mean, no, but you just have to cash in, like, the uh, Search for Tomorrows and sacro Tribe Elders, and you're
1: golden. Yeah, I mean, it's like Elvish Visionary minus all the good creature types, if you want to be real favorable to it.
0: Ooh, okay, so what if
1: <laughs>
0: what if you play one, and then you play another one? And
1: then you only need two other snow permanents? And then you have two, two lands, right? Oh, yeah. well, that's true. If you have... The Snow-Covered Forest and Snow-Covered And this is all about the mana base. If there are other snow lands that we want to be playing in green and blue, then I think this card could be very, very meaningful. I don't think we're getting snow duels. I'll say that right now. Like People seem to still hold on to that belief. I, I really don't think there's any way that happens. I think that probably is skirting a little bit too close to the reserve list for the way they have defined it and the way they see it. So, I and I also just don't think that would be a good thing for modern. So I I would put that possibility out of mind. And that's the biggest problem with a multicolored snow card. I think if there's a bunch of good snow cards, they could be impactful. Um, And Scrying Sheets is a card that exists that certainly can juice up all those decks a bunch. But for a two-color snow permanent to really matter, it seems like there has to be some kind of mana incentive to go there.
0: All right. Have you considered Prismatic Vista? I
1: I don't know what that is, Jerry. Is that the new land?
0: That is the new basic fetch
1: land. Okay, that's a good card, and I think that card will find some homes. I still think we need a little bit more snow action here because I don't know. Like we Look, don't even have we man. don't even have a deck yet. Like so it's hard to say exactly <laughs> what spells we're trying to cast, but it just feels Scape like we need more.
0: Scape shift. No, I I agree with you. Uh, I I will say that I really wish that scapeshift had a card like repeal or into the Royal blink of an eye that was actually playable. Like Mm. those cards are a little bit too clunky for modern and scapeshift being like this resource based combo deck. You would really like the things that you're using to buy you time to actually replace themselves and cantrip. You don't just want to spend all of your cards on lightning bolts and engineered explosives and wrath of gods and stuff like that. Cause then you don't have enough resources for seven or eight lands plus scapeshift. I don't know. Uh, That was the first thing that I thought of. Otherwise, like blue, green snow in modern, I have no idea.
1: Yeah, can't even fathom what it might look like. So I'm going to wait on this one. But on rate, if there's good snow permanence, could be nice.
0: Yeah. All right. Next card, Munitions Expert, RB11, Creature Goblin, Flash. When this enters the battlefield, you may have it deal damage to target creature or planeswalker Damage equal to the number of goblins you control. So uh, one damage on resolution checks on resolution. And this is the card that you're supposed to be goblin matroning for, I guess. Mm, Maybe. Maybe
1: it's filling that role as your one of removal spell. Or Planeswalker. That's relevant. It is. I I just think you got to do more in modern. And I, I mean, the goblins deck isn't about this card. This is a piece that the goblins deck can get access to if it wants it and probably will, like if there is a real goblins deck, there probably will be one of these uh, somewhere in the 75, probably multiples in the sideboard to answer certain decks. That That's all good, but the viability of goblins does not hinge on this card. It's not based on this card. It's about what else is present and we don't know right now. So I'll hold on this one too. Dude, I think it matters. We don't have gem palm incinerator, you know? Sure. But the existence of gem palm incinerator is not what made that deck viable at any point. It's just the engine pieces were there. And then because of that, you're able to leverage gem palm incinerator and munitions expert is falling in exactly the same spot.
0: So I agree with you, but I I do think that you need some sort of relevant thing to tutor for. And in this case, something that like affects the board kills a Delver of secrets or whatever is killing you. Yeah. To actually be viable.
1: So Okay. Well, let's see if the other pieces are going to come and the engine is there that can leverage this.
0: At the end of the day, I think the beatdown goblin deck will still be stronger than this value thing, unless we get something really good because matron and munitions expert isn't enough to sway me from like, you know, turn three, turn four kills. With you. Word. Next card, lightning, skelemental
1: you can just stop there like that's that's probably good enough for me to that's the top card
0: six one creature elemental skeleton trample haste whenever this deals combat damage to a player that player discards two cards at the beginning of the end step sacrifice this so ball lightning blightning.
1: I don't care about how viable this card is. It's just dope. That's all I mean, <laughs> I realize that's not what we do here. And like, we're supposed to give a very thorough breakdown and say exactly where this card fits. I don't care in this one instance, this is just cool. I'm happy. This card made me smile when I saw it. It was very reaffirming that magic cards can still affect me in that way. This is just cool. That's all I have to say about it. Probably not going to see a lot of play.
0: That is, that is awesome. You being happy makes me happy. I think that this card is going to be a card that people put in their decks and I think they're going to regret it.
1: (laughs) Probably true. Probably true. You could come up with some real narrow situations where this is the right card, but it's not going to happen too often. And this isn't fixing the problems that a burn based deck is having in those matchups. So
0: ball lightning is very legal and modern and people don't play it for a lot of reasons. And I don't think tacking on discard two cards in your burn deck is really going to help you.
1: No, probably not.
0: But who knows? Next card, Good Fortune Unicorn. 1G dub, 2-2, Creature Unicorn. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on that creature. And I only included this card on my list because I thought that you would want to talk about it. Uh, I don't. There's no... <laughs> Like Kitchen Finks. No, it it does the same
1: thing. It does the same thing as all these cards. It's exactly, it's another piece of that whole puzzle. This is like a pretty downgraded version of that effect. And at this point, the redundancy argument isn't really holding weight with me anymore because there's a lot of redundancy of this effect at this point. So, does it enable all those same combos? 100%, absolutely. But I don't think it does anything to actually move those decks forward. I don't think there's. The costing and the sizing is not such that makes me believe that having access to Good Fortune Unicorn actually improved those decks at all.
0: I'll tell you what, if I were to play Malira in some tournament, I would probably play one just as my lucky unicorn.
1: Well, you would be blessed with Good Fortune for your inclusion of this fine steed. Yes, at least I hope so.
0: Artifacts, Scrapyard, Recombiner, three mana... For a zero-zero artifact creature construct, modular two, tap second artifact. Search your library for a construct, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Is this card busted or garbage?
1: Can I say I have no idea? I mean, no. <laughs> the constructs in Modern are good. That's I mean, Ravager falls under that. All these modular creatures, they're all constructs. They're very meaningful constructs to go get. Three mana is a lot. Is Affinity looking for this type of value engine? I think mostly no. Hardened scales, right? Yeah, but they, they already have their pieces in place. Like, Is is this a upgrade for that deck?
0: I don't know. That's what I'm asking you. I mean,
1: this is uh, another- I don't, I don't know either. Three is a lot of mana. That's That's it, my main sticking point.
0: It is. But they're they're already playing, like, Throne of Geth, which, right. you know, granted, has some different applications. Uh, this is tap second artifact, so you can just cash in a servo that you get off animation module. Mm-hmm. This has modular, so it triggers animation module. It's another sack outlet for uh, Hangerback Walker. You get to tutor for Walking Ballista, not Ravager. I don't know if you were, like, alluding to that, uh, but Ravager is a beast. Oh,
1: my mistake. I thought it was a construct. Okay. So so, so are any of those constructs, like, uh, is, is the worker a construct?
0: Worker, Ballista, Hangerback, I believe are all
1: constructs. Okay, it's weird that Worker is and Ravager is not, but such is life.
0: Uh, a lot of these cards work really well with Metallic Mimic.
1: Right, right. And that is something we saw that the Hardened Scales deck move towards kind of later in its life cycle. I, I just don't know. I, I I know we have to give opinions on everything. I don't know if this card is good. It feels like the mana cost is problematic. That's the first instinct I have is that going that high on the curve is going to be tough for these decks. And if they're investing that much mana, they want it to be into the Hangerback Walkers or the Walking Ballistas. But also... Having played a bit of Harding Scales, it is prone to running out of gas in some spots. Like if you get all your pieces going, you feel like the most powerful deck on the planet. But sometimes you're just sitting there with like a Servo and a Darksteel Citadel and you're like, oh, my deck does nothing. So if this gets to untap in those scenarios, you kind of start going off pretty hard while getting to upgrade your Servo if it does get killed by, you know, traditional graveyard based means. So there's something there. I I think it all comes down to mana efficiency. And do you have room for that much investment? Mm,
0: I think so. I mean, it's just a matter of what the format dictates that you need to be doing. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've seen people cut Steel Overseer for Metallic Mimic, likely with a move towards like well, the format is fast and Seal Overseer is not likely to live. It's not likely to get to untap. Therefore, I need to do like this faster, less powerful thing. And if the format is in that sort of place, then obviously Recombiner, it, it has the same trap as the Seal Overseer stuff. Like you do get a dice trigger out of it, but it's not really what you want to be spending three mana on. But for sure, I, I do think that if you are just trying to set up combo kills or make big walking blisses against things like humans, then you know, maybe, maybe this thing helps. Yeah. People are going to try it and I don't know if it's going to be good or not. I think that Mox Opal obviously helps a little bit, but maybe not great.
1: We'll keep an eye on it. That's all we can do with this one. I don't think either of us fall in the camp of hardened scales expert and that's the clearest home or traditional affinity. I think like that's an option as well, Um, but it does seem like hardened scales takes harder advantage of this card.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Onto the lands we have, Snow-covered basics, which is good because we need those for our ice fangs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other than that, I I don't really know what we're doing with these, but we still have like 200 cards left in the set to go, so I'm sure we'll find
1: out. They're really pretty. I I think the swamp is particularly pretty.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I like the fact that we have these dope full art uh, snowlands, which we didn't really have before, so that is definitely cool. And then we have the uh, Horizon Land Cycle
1: or Canopy. No, 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 stop. They're in Modern Horizons. They're based on Horizon Canopy. You had it the first time. This is the Horizon Cycle of Lands.
0: Okay, so they're Canopy Lands. Got it. Uh, it. These are all enemy colored with the, the same text as Horizon Canopy. And we've seen Horizon Canopy show up in decks as... Like, basically an off-color thing, you know? It's Mm -hmm. like you can be Boros and still play Horizon Canopy. So, obviously, these have to be upgrades in some decks. And then, specifically, the blue-red one and the green-black one are the ones that I think I'm most excited about.
1: Although... I I am excited about all these, quite frankly. I I think these are a huge, huge add. It might not surprise you that I love the green-blue one, because I think I can probably get away with playing a few of these in Amulet pretty safely.
0: You could have played Horizon Canopy before.
1: Yeah, you could, but getting the mana fixing as well. I I mean, I've almost been in the market for a Botanical Sanctum before. So, like, pretty into Waterlogged Grove in a few spots. But I think this is providing an important thing to colors that previously didn't have it. And I'm sure you're into the green-black one because that is exactly what something like green black rock is looking for like getting an extra card out of your mana base i mean maybe they should have been considering horizon canopy actually previously because that's a really big get for them
0: maybe it's weird because you have so many good utility lands at this point and you don't like taking damage and you want a bunch of basics for field of ruin and stuff yeah Uh, so i'm not even sure how many of the green black ones will show up in like the specifically golgari mid range. I think this is more something that actual jund is looking for because hmm. they're a little bit more aggressive. Okay. Interesting. But either way, yeah, people are people are going to play a ton of these.
1: Yeah, and uh, humans can pick some up very easily. They already had horizon canopy. They're just making their mana better for the most part, which is really good for them. Blue red like storm might be into this pretty hard. You can see a lot of spots where they're willing to cash in a land for a card, particularly while they're going off and like mana is no longer an issue. So I could see inclusions there. Horizon Canopy feels like it would be an even bigger part of the format in any other color, right? Like it's kind of gated behind what are historically very fair decks. And now we get to see what happens where some more broken possibilities come into the fray.
0: Yeah, uh the, the blue red one in Is It Phoenix obviously competes with Lava Dart, but whatever. I mean, I, I think that having that sort of effect is obviously very powerful. So mm-hmm. these are gonna show up in a lot of spots and it'll be very interesting to figure out, you know, how many does Jun want, how many does Phoenix want, Amulet, like those numbers are gonna vary a lot too. And we've we've seen that with Horizon Canopy a little bit.
1: Ooh, Death Shadow. Happy to be paying some life for its mana. Oh as well. yeah. Yeah. Really oh yeah. I
0: mean maybe Maybe you would prefer to fetch shock like every time, but yeah, this is interesting because they definitely don't want a fourth land. Mm -hmm. All right. Prismatic Vista, land, tap, pay one life, sacrifice this, search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield and shuffle your library. So maybe in three color control decks, if you want access to Island Plains Mountain, I generally feel like playing the mountain is not really worth it. This fetches up snow basics if you're playing like a three color snow deck. So I think that that is more relevant. Uh, And then this fetches up wastes, which is kind of interesting.
1: That I think is actually the most meaningful one. And those decks getting access to their second. They basically have a fetch land for their second color now where they previously could not. And I think that matters a lot and maybe they can even start pushing into three-color territory. But this grabbing Waste, I think, is the biggest impact of Prismatic Vista. It could be, we talked about the snow-covered permanence before, maybe someone's in the market for that, and that pushes Prismatic Vista into a more traditional home. But yeah, Waste is my slam-dunk winner with Prismatic Vista.
0: Yeah, I guess if there are no snow duels, right? Like, you play Misty Rainforest, and then that's about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can, you can play, like, off-color fetches, and a breeding pool or something. But now you could play Misty and Vista and just have eight fetches for your two-color deck, which is kind of cool. Yeah, seems good. Yeah, this, this is interesting. It's like, it, it seems kind of gated for the possibilities, but at the same time, it's like, oh, there's probably like a lot of stuff we haven't thought of yet.
1: Right. And I mean, sometimes these cards are about just pushing what they can, like figuring out, Not looking at things under the old lenses, like opening up new lenses for this card, I think is the real key to unlocking Prismatic Vista, because we haven't had this type of effect before. And, you know, maybe there's more multicolored Blood Moon decks that can exist because you have reliable access to all of your basics. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what ultimately gets done with, with Prismatic Vista. Is this card too good for standard? No, no. I think this could have been in standard. I don't think it should be. I mean, certainly the mana bases you were afforded back in BFZ with Fetchland plus dual land were way better than Prismatic Vista mana bases would have been. True. Um, so if that was safe for standard, and you, we could debate that point, but it happened and it wasn't that long ago. So given that, I have to say that I, ju- I just think Prismatic Vista would have been fine, but there's incentives not to do the Fetchland thing in standard. And honestly, like you said, I would prefer there is as little shuffling as possible. If every mana base started with four Prismatic Vista, you're just adding a bunch of shuffles to the game, and I'm all for passing on that just out of principle. Sure.
0: I mean, Evolving Wilds saw play a reasonable amount of the time, yeah. and this is is the comparison that I would like to make, basically. It's like, obviously, this is an upgrade to Evolving Wilds, but is it one that is too good? And it's possible that this card actually does end up showing up in standard at some point.
1: Yeah, maybe. It'll, that's an interesting point. I wonder how much of this is going to work its way backwards into standard.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like if they thought that any of these cards were going to be in standard at some point, they probably would, would have, have held them. just put them. Yeah, they would have just put them in a standard set, right?
1: Yeah, maybe.
0: I don't know. This set needs to be dope. Uh, so far, it does look like that. Oh uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, one more card: Frostwalk Bastion, Snowlands, tap, add colorless one and a snow mana. Until end of turn, this becomes a 2-3 construct artifact creature. It's still a land. Whenever this deals combat damage to a creature, tap that creature and it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. So kind of a weird land,
1: but cool. Going right into our Coatl control deck for sure. I like these snow lands. I think it's important that the mana base can do diverse things because probably the home for snow ends up being monocolored. So... And of course, Scred exists. So red is particularly incentivized to look for things they can do with their mana base. Uh, having some more options that still fuel up Scred. Really cool. And you could certainly see Frostwalk Bastion getting a home there. Yo, but how do you cast Boros Reckoner with this in your deck? Just don't cast Boros Reckoner.
0: Hey, hey, Just that's do not it. an option. Don't do it. Not an option.
1: All right. <laughs> then I'm sorry. You, you can't play Frostwalk Bastion. You're gated off. You could probably play. You could play one. I'll let you play one. What about
0: screen sheets?
1: I don't know, what, what man. About, what I about don't know. if we talk
0: about standard instead? How about that?
1: Yeah, let's do that because there's a lot to say about standard too. And certainly we're going to have to keep it brief. We've been yapping our listeners ears off for a while now about modern, but I would be remiss if we didn't at least check in on standard.
0: Okay. Uh, last weekend, SCG New York Uh, Jeskai Planeswalkers kind of crushed the tournament, which if you'd been paying attention to the arena results and people like John Rolfe crushing it, that should have been no surprise to you. Uh, Red also put up another good weekend, but I guess the talk coming away from the tournament was that Red just has an impossible, maybe not impossible, but certainly a bad Jeskai matchup. And I was watching Martin Jusa's stream and he's been crushing it with Red, and he eventually moved on to other decks because of uh, his losing uh, win rate or whatever to the Jeskai decks. So.
1: Yeah, that, that Jeskai deck was a work of art. Some truly impressive deck building. Certainly you want to acknowledge where you came from and Rolf deserves the credit as being the first person to push the archetype, but the upgrades made in the version that ultimately won the tournament were significant and the whole Sahili karn package is a difference maker the manland is a difference maker it actually feels like mox amber is a great card in the deck like a very meaningful card so i i think it's a really just impressive piece of deck building certainly should be on the top of everyone's radar going forward in this format that being said i have been absolutely farming it today would you like to guess what i've been farming it with jerry some sort of deck with Nissa who shakes the world. Correct. That is correct. But more importantly, my deck has had sinkhole and Stripmine, mm. And it turns out those cards are pretty good against most standard decks. I've been playing the Japanese Golgari deck.
0: That's, that's just a joke, man. That it, like past, like going into this, this weekend, people are going to fix that.
1: How do you fix that? Realistically, with everything you're trying to do in that deck, how do you fix that? I think Field of Ruin is an incredible card in the format right now. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think Golgari is the truth or the way forward, but I do think Field of Ruin is criminally underplayed. And their deck takes it to an extreme by also having four Assassin's Trophies to back it up. And even if you're not just like strictly sinkholing your opponent, I've restricted so many of my opponents from their third color of mana, and it matters a lot. Like the deck plays a really effective almost fish-like game of just being annoying to your opponents and making it difficult for them to do anything meaningful
0: i believe that i I think things get way different when people start having two basics in their deck yeah and like you can't you can't just like trophy their land on turn two no like
1: you should you you should should just
0: not you should just not be able to do that and that will change very quickly i think uh that said i do think that there are going to be games where you trophy a couple planeswalkers field of ruin them and then you can start going ham on their mana base and that is going to matter Mm -hmm. especially if we're talking about like keeping them off five for Sarkin and stuff like that or even let them play Sarkin. you just casualties of war them you know
1: right yeah casualties of war going along with that land destruction setup and that card finding a lot of targets for me right now i i think that Mana bases are generally stretched to the breaking point right now, and that's a very good pressure point. And in most instances, you would just go, okay, time for mono red. Like you said, though, there's a problematic matchup there. And despite that, mono red seems to put up extremely good results in every event. I think the deck is an incredible incarnation of mono red. I've even been playing it quite a bit. So, you know, if I'm playing mono red, that's kind of like against my DNA. That means I have a lot of respect for the deck. I think it's very good. But it's got a problematic matchup on its books now, and it's going to have to do something about that. Meanwhile, the <laughs> debate points of both our articles and our podcasts over the past two weeks seem almost archaic at this point. I mean, I continue yeah. to work on Esper control. I think I have it in like an okay place where I'm making do in the metagame, but I wouldn't tell anyone to play that deck right now. I think you'd be kind of crazy to do so.
0: I think that there is merit to trying to do the Jeskai stuff with. Uh, thought Erasure, kind of similar to the list that Oliver Tamiko got second with. Mm-hmm. But I think that you really do want to adopt the Sahili Karn package because of how good it is in mirror matches and just how good it is at like, protecting your own Planeswalkers too.
1: Yeah, it's an incredible combination. I-, I will tell you, I won a game on turn five today where I didn't cast a spell until turn three, which was pretty incredible out of a deck that's ostensibly like this slow grindy nightmare to play against to have that kind of clock and that's not what it's there for i don't want to make that sound commonplace but just the fact that's on the table that means you're generating battlefield presence that can meaningfully pressure opposing planeswalkers and that's really the key point right now
0: yeah for sure and we're seeing a lot of people jamming a lot of copies of legion war boss in their sideboards because of that Mm -hmm. and it's interesting now because We have basically blue Planeswalker decks and green Planeswalker decks, and against the green ones, you want stuff like Lava Coil, and against the blue ones, you want stuff like Legion Warboss, but other than that, you want basically like the same cards, and it makes me think that the green decks with the Explore Creature Package and Wild Growth Walker for the red matchups, and then you have stuff like Vraska, uh, Golgari Queen, Queen of the Golgari, whatever the actual name is, to just hound for the three mana Planeswalkers and stuff. And then you have Command the Dreadhorde at the top. I think the green, black Planeswalker decks might be a little bit favorite of a favorite right now. Hmm. And we we see them picking up a a decent amount too. So I don't know, like the lists are so different and people are playing, uh, like there's just so many different options, like different ways that you can build your decks and everything. So I don't think that we're actually going to have like a real answer, but I do think that if I were playing, I would just be off the blue-based ones and kind of onto the green ones.
1: Yeah, so uh, I think Command the Dreadhorde was the other big story coming out of the weekend, and it's something that we spoke about in our last cast. But literally, it was like two hours before we actually started to record that that deck was first being talked about, right, on the Twitter sphere. So I I don't think we had unpacked exactly what that deck had to offer at that early stage, although we were both intrigued. I don't think either of us dismissed it out of hand, but we didn't know exactly what it was going to be. And what it is, is this mid-rangey, grindy nightmare. I don't think there's any larger factor for Esper's unplayability than the spell Command the Dreadhorde. I did play a copy of Command the Dreadhorde in my Esper deck for my PTQ this weekend, and it was quite good. It's just a good card in a bunch of situations, but in those decks, it's a bonkers card. And in combination with Tamio and all these life gain spells, they just have gas for days and days and days and playing like a pure control strategy, not realistic at this juncture.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. You have to be doing Planeswalker stuff. You have to be actually getting a battlefield presence, uh, absorb was mostly invalidated by Teferi Time Raveler. But I think at this point it's just invalidated because of the decks that people are playing.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of that. And I don't know how you go, like there is a way to build control that works. Don't get me wrong. And the problem is that the cards I'm finding that work are bad cards they're legitimately bad cards and as soon as you're playing bad cards and warping your deck to account for these problems then you're not equipped to answer the things like mono red which as we say still has a real presence and then there's just weird stuff like mass manipulation floating around and there's so many things to account for i like good proactive plans at this point trying to react to what your opponent's doing is not going to work and that again another point in favor of the jeskai planeswalker deck Uh, being able to get onto the battlefield. But like you said, it does feel like time is running out for that to be the de facto best deck. If you had to play a standard tournament this weekend, what are you looking at?
0: The card I was most excited about this week was Nyssa. And I was trying a a bunch of different Nyssa decks. I mean, they're the, the like mono green Tron decks, which I think are kind of nonsense. There are some versions of that deck that splash either blue or black those are a little bit more palatable for me. I like the Japanese green black deck or most of it. I don't like having things like Ravenous Chupacabra and Massacre Girl in the main deck because I think it's just kind of missing the point of what the format is about. But like the other stuff that they're doing is just awesome, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would just be leaning a little harder on planeswalkers than what they're doing. And I think they had three Vivian Reeds and maybe yes. one Nissa or something. Yes. I would just I would just be jamming all Nissas.
1: Yeah, one Veraska, one Nyssa, three variant Reads was the breakdown of their Planeswalkers and an additional Nyssa in the sideboard, I believe.
0: And they had Carnage Tyrant too. Three Carnage Tyrants. What do you think about Nonsense. that card right now? Nonsense. It's awful. Why? It's just bad. It's too slow. It comes down and it's like, all right, I have like this Karn token and a couple dragons and you're probably dead anyway. And, you know, it, it's like this six mana sorcery speed. Abyss for planeswalkers, basically. And I just don't think that that's good enough right now. You have things like Casualties of War and Command the Dread Horde, which are six mana cards that actually do things.
1: Okay. I think you make a compelling case. I think that there were you to not have that, you're talking about a complete retool, which. Always in the realm of possibility. I mean, that's been the go-to thing about this format. As someone comes up with this iteration, someone takes it a step further and finds the best deck. That has happened consistently over and over with each yeah. of these decks presented. So maybe the Japanese core of the Field of Ruin mana base in conjunction with Command the Dreadhorde is the next step forward. Um, and they're able to do both things that these other decks you know, typically don't have any access to. I, I don't know. Maybe just command the dread horde and field of ruin is enough. Like that's all you have to do to really have a leg up on the rest of the field. But if I had to play a standard tournament this weekend, I would be continuing to iterate on green black, seeing what I could get it to do depending on the tournament. Like if I had a PTQ, I see this is weird because historically I would say your PTQ is going to lag behind and you can go with last week's deck and probably be pretty safe. If you have good plans against everyone, but having played a few PTQs now in the season, that's not tracking. Like people are just making the adaptations and they're showing up prepared. And so I went to this PTQ on Saturday in Tacoma, and there were a lot of Command the Dreadhorde decks there. Like it was a noticeable portion of the field. And I think it was Wednesday that that deck first appeared. On Arena, and people were there. They were ready to go. The technology is moving faster, certainly in Arena, but on paper as well, and people are showing up prepared. So I don't know if you could get another week out of the Jeskai deck just as it stands right now, or if people are going to be ready for it.
0: Yeah, that's completely legit. The one thing that I have been playing a decent amount is Gruul. Okay. And there are a lot of different deck lists out there for it, but uh, mine is maybe like a little bit different. And I like it. I've been doing okay with it the last couple of days. Just hit diamond. No big deal. Mm. But yeah, I think Nissa certainly at the top end is a thing that I'm very happy about. Uh, I like Llanowar Elves a decent amount, just allowing you to get on the board faster. You have things like Thorn Lieutenant and Gruel Spellbreaker, which are just nightmares for Red. And the, the Planeswalkers just all together, like Domri, Vivian, like Small Vivian, uh, Chandra, Sarkin, Nyssa, it's like super strong.
1: So we see a lot of the grill decks take the Immortal Sun approach. You've gone the other direction and just leveraging your own Planeswalkers. Why are you choosing, choosing to go that way as opposed to leveraging the Immortal Sun?
0: Because Planeswalkers are the best thing to be doing. And yeah, you can play like two copies of the Immortal Sun. And if you don't draw it, you don't resolve it. You're just going to lose the Planeswalker. So like, why the hell wouldn't you just be doing Planeswalker stuff?
1: Uh the Immortal Sun is a card that I was very excited to play with and when this all started breaking I was like all right Immortal Sun time let's let's start building these decks and I looked at green white tokens and all these kind of mid-rangey piles exactly what you would expect and then I would play the Immortal Sun and I would lose the game over and over and over <laughs> and, and it just doesn't, with the static abilities on the planeswalkers, there's part of the problem right there. Like you've already not accounted for a portion of the card. And a lot of these decks are coming with the rest. They're coming with post board vetoes in some situations, depending on what your configuration is like. So I, I just don't think it's reliable enough. I think it's too expensive. And I would rather just get into the arms race. You're not going to skirt it at this point. Bring your elder spells, bring that kind of, bring your own planeswalkers, do that. But just going to Immortal Sun, it's not going to be the out you're looking for.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's a, a two of that stops 20 cards in their deck. You know, it's there's no way it's going to line up. And people just have spell pierce in their main deck too. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a joke.
1: Yep. Very true.
0: Uh, so yeah, I, I've, I've like Roll. I've also been trying to tune Esper Hero because it seems like, uh, in, Kind of like Legion war Boss fashion, you have Hero Precinct 1 as this cheap card that can actually get on the board and Pressure Planeswalkers, uh, but yet you need something else, and uh, basically I've been playing a bunch of bell Haunts to help against Mono Red, and then some Command the Dreadhorde's main deck with some more Planeswalkers, but you're just doing a lot of things worse than what the other decks are doing. I don't know. I feel like if you want to do green white Z thing where you never run out of gas, Tamio command the
1: dread horde is where you want to be. Yeah, that combination is uh, oppressive. And like, <laughs> there are so many times where I'm playing Esper control, and I've I've even like slow rolled my thought erasure and gotten to a place where I should be able to control their draw step, and they just play Tamio minus get back there command the dread horde, and I'm like, well, nothing I can do. Literally nothing I can do. Tamio has closed off all of my options here. And who chose to give that card six loyalty to start? What an absurd loyalty total for a card like Tameo to have on a plus. Just an incredible magic card, honestly. And still, I think, scratching the surface of that one. We're seeing it now in fairer versions of green-blue, things like mass manipulation setups. And it continues to impress in virtually every shell I see it in.
0: Yep. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. What else? I mean, there's there's mono red. There's some white aggro decks. Uh, I think classic Esper is dead. But again, Planeswalkers with Thought Erasure might be good. I'm Also mm-hmm. kind of curious if like either Esper Splash Bolus or Grixis Splash some of the Teferis is relevant, because I do think the Planeswalker shell with something to do on turn two is like the next step. And Thought Erasure is probably the best card. But obviously the red cards give you a lot of stuff too. So we're, we're going to see some cool lists, I think, this weekend where people, like you said, take an archetype, tune it, uh, do something special with it, and just end up with
1: a beast. I will say that instinctually, as all of these decks float to the middle of the battlefield, I keep looking for ways to return to Nexus and just win on that axis. And I do think that the latest builds I've seen are getting closer Nissa based builds as opposed to Wilderness Reclamation-based builds, essentially, yeah. where they are able to generate some battlefield presence, pressure the opposing Teferi, get them off the battlefield, and just have a B plan for Hydroid Crisis, for Nissa. That's a real B plan. I think you can live with that. It wouldn't surprise me if Nexus decks are able to retool in that fashion and get to a good place as these decks just entirely fail to account for it at some point, as they should, because traditional Nexus does not exist in the format as it stands right now.
0: I mean, I definitely like uh, Explore Package, Tamiyo, Nyssa, Nexus decks. I think that that is a really cool angle. And I think Nexus is just sort of free yeah. in those sorts of decks, like especially with Nyssa and Explore Creatures helping you hit your land drops. And then the Explore Package just being good against Mono Red. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of down for that. I, yeah, can I think see those it.
1: decks are still finding their footing. But if they do, they could be worthwhile. Uh, I'll be keeping a close eye on that strategy of course. Any chance you give me to cast next size, I will probably be happy about doing so. This is broke. That's Good it. Good card. It's it's funny like <laughs> have we ever done worse on a top 10 than the top 10 we made for War of the Spark?
0: Oh, uh, we th- we thought that it was going to be fair.
1: Yes. I mean that's that's the core of our problem. Is the format we were envisioning was like a continuation of the previous format and it was just an entire reboot.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, well, for the first couple of weeks, I think, or the first maybe one week, it was probably good.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, Who knows what our top tens are actually supposed to accomplish? Like, are they supposed to say the best card for week one or the best cards long term? Uh, That's always been a little ambiguous, but I I would still call our top ten mostly a miss under any circumstances. And but I'm okay not really beating ourselves up over it, because as we said a million times through that process, evaluating planeswalkers is close to impossible. And the, this set more so than any other, like we were just not prepared for these static abilities at all.
0: Nah, it's too much.
1: We'll be ready next time. War of the spark 2 We're going to nail our top 10. Was <laughs> that going to be like modern horizons eight, something like that. We'll do it from the nursing home, the magic nursing home that I'm starting. Uh, we'll cast from there and tell people all about it. Yeah, man. Save me a seat. Will do. Well, every week
0: we solicit questions from the fine folks in our Discord, and uh, we pick one of them that is maybe the cleverest or the most relevant or the one that tickles us the most, and we answer it, and that person gets some vintage game podcast sleeves. We're going to run out of those pretty soon, and then I'll have a new prize pretty soon. And the question this week comes from Jeff Pika, who... Uh, we We asked for modern horizons related questions, but this is a good one, and this is something that Brian has been harping on a little bit. uh Jeff asks thoughts about how the standard format is changing every twelve hours and how much stress it puts on you guys as content creators that by the time it hits the air, it could be irrelevant. Brian, go first. I know you have a lot to say on this
1: so i first, I'll say I don't know if stress is the right word. I try to be very like realistic about what it is we do for a living and what we do is awesome. So I'm very hesitant to define what we're currently experiencing as a stressful situation because ultimately I'm just doing my best to talk about magic and that's a cool position to be in. But it's hard. It's it's so hard right now because like I said, we spent the beginning part of last week Doing this article series talking about the merits of these various versions of Esper, and then we get to this point, and it's like, was there even any value that people were able to take away from that? And I, I think for a few days, it was a really nice article set. It gave you a lot to think about, and probably informed a lot of choices. And you know, I I did well at my PTQ. I went five one and one, which is a fine result, quite frankly. And I felt prepared, and I felt like my deck list was very good. But even even then, the deck I played come Saturday was a good 10 cards off what I was writing about on Tuesday. And that feels bad. Like I I want to give my readers something they can take as a weapon going into the weekend. But what can you do when things are happening so quickly? I think it's important as content consumers to just be aware of the fact that things are moving so quickly right now. And it's, it's really on you as a player to extrapolate from everything you're reading, everything you're consuming and take the next step because a lot of times by the time it hits you, it's just not going to be quick enough. Like quite frankly, when I write for Star City, I generally will not start writing until about noon the day before my article is due. And then I stretch my deadline as far as I possibly can. I submit it at the last possible second because I want to see everything that's happening throughout the day, or I want to check in on new strategies and I'm doing everything possible. So there is as little time from the article, leaving my hands to getting to our readers. And that puts a lot of pressure on kind of the window you have to create something because you're always putting yourself on a really tight deadline. We only have a few hours to craft something. I just think it's important that if we're going to have this accelerated standard, people are aware of the time constraints we're facing, the time pressures we're facing, and use that to be active and careful consumers of all of the pieces that are circulating right now. I don't think that applies to just mine or Jerry's. I think that's everyone who's creating content. You you have to watch yourself, or you could find yourself burned by some old technology. And That's a tough spot with these new PTQs where it's winner take all and you get one shot. And I, I think it really incentivizes shooting your shot, taking a risk. And quite frankly, I wish I played a Command the Dreadhorde deck this past weekend because people just weren't ready yet. People hadn't adapted, but there were plenty of people who showed up with it and they reaped the benefits.
0: Yeah, I agree with all you said. I, I don't think it's stressful because just in the moment, you're writing about you know what's going on and what you know and what you think. And two days later, it's mostly irrelevant. So it's like it for me, it's more frustrating that I can't necessarily be as helpful as I would like to be. Right. Right. And th- there are still some ways around that. Like, you know, for my uh, Star City article, I'll submit, you know, well past Wednesday night, like basically Thursday morning. It will get edited on Thursday and then posted on Friday morning. So there's really only like a day removed of content. And then the podcast, we also do Wednesday night and will go up uh, Thursday afternoon or Thursday night. So that's only one day removed. And I think what people really want is a deck that they can just pick up and and copy and, you know, play that weekend or at least like get those last tips to help them inform uh, their deck choice or their last sideboard slots or whatever. And maybe listening to content that was written on Wednesday is not the the best thing to be doing, I guess. But like you said, I mean, be, be a uh, very smart consumer and realize that that is what's happening. And some of the stuff that we might be writing about on Wednesday is relevant and some of it is not. And you have to be able to figure that out for yourself. It's like, well, what happened in the last two days and why might this make what Jerry is saying not relevant or whatever, but... We also do stuff like post deck lists on Friday uh, for our patrons and stuff. And we try and be active in the discord and keep having those ongoing conversations with people and everything. And I would like to put up content that is just relevant in the moment. Uh, And that sort of like points people towards watching streamers, right? Because like they see that stuff happening live. And Martin went from uh, writing an article saying about how he's like on a 19 win or 19 match win streak with mono red into just like oh I'm just not playing the stack and I'm playing Jeskai walkers because it can't ever beat Jeskai walkers and then he's playing against a bunch of decks that are already like set up to beat Jeskai too so it's like okay he needs to actually stop and evaluate what's going on in the format and probably go two levels past where he was like two days earlier right so it's like it's kind of sick but yeah that's that's how fast stuff moves and you have to be prepared to deal with that. But yeah, it takes a lot of the stuff out of our hands basically and puts it into yours, which as a content creator who is trying to help people like
1: does kind of suck. I mean, what do you think outside the content creation lens? What do you think about this standard experience as a whole? Because while it's certainly exhilarating and interesting and gives us unending things to talk about, it is stressful for people who aren't there aren't many people on the planet who are as engaged with magic as you or i and it still feels like at times i'm lagging so i think about our listeners with full-time jobs who are trying to balance a little right. bit of testing in between you know their work and their families just to get prepared for their one shot at a ptq and that's got to be a little tough right like they they have to feel the sting of that if we're feeling this thing of it, certainly people who don't have that kind of uh, luxury magic time are really feeling this thing of it. Is it a, is it still a good thing that these formats are so, mm, I guess, nebulous?
0: Well, I, so I do think that a large portion of the tournament playing population are those who either don't have enough time or, simply don't want to devote that much time sure and would rather focus on other aspects of life which is totally cool and probably very healthy uh and there are also people who only own like one deck or cards that go in one or two decks right so it's like if you start the week thinking that you're gonna play esper and by the time the end of the week rolls around and your tournaments tomorrow and esper doesn't seem particularly playable well you're kind of SOL, right and that sort of sucks, but I do think that the format is mostly in a place where you can make smart adaptations to your deck. And, you know, like you said, you changed 10 cards because you were keeping on top of things and you did completely fine, you know? Uh, And I I think the format is in that sort of place. Like if you're trying to play, is it Phoenix or Gruul or Sultai or uh, Mono White, Mono Red, Esper, like there are things that you can change in your deck that will make your matchup spread much stronger. And I don't think that any deck is necessarily completely invalidated on a week-to-week basis or a day-to-day basis, whatever. Uh, So I, I don't think it's the end of the world. I think that you can still have success even with limited time, limited card availability and stuff like that.
1: I think you put forth a really good kind of battle plan. Don't focus on what you can't do, focus on what you can do and find the always, options that always. are available to you find ways to move your deck like i said i i would have played command the Dreadhorde. i didn't have command the dread hordes when the time came that i actually realized it was a real deck they were sold out at mox and i was like well we're going with hesper and that was kind of the end of it and i did what i could dude um, that's well
0: that's stupid that's that's like just a basic rare out of the set like you you should What, been able to what find am I those. supposed
1: to do? I mean they, they weren't there. I went to the store, they didn't have them. I I literally had to buy my one copy that I played in the sideboard off of random person for $10 because there is no card availability.
0: Ask random humans, man. We have the we have the Discord. There's uh Matt who oh I guess you were in
1: Tacoma, right? I I was in Tacoma. Yes. Yeah, I
0: was thinking about the Spokane one where you could ask Matt. But like even Tacoma, it's like I mean, how many people did you know or Cedric know? That you could have just asked to bring them. Cedric's been cracking uh, packs of War of the Spark
1: on Twitter, you know. Uh, I I did ask Cedric, and he did not have the card either. He's Look, got I, hella friends, dude. He could have found him. Uh, maybe that, I, maybe I could have pushed him harder, but there's still the fact that like I don't have a huge base out here where I know a tremendous amount of people, and I don't know. Maybe this is a little silly. I feel awkward asking our like, patrons in the Discord for it, because that feels like somewhat exploitative to me. I don't know why I feel that way, and I'm sure people will say it's fine, but that's what crosses my mind when I'm like, oh, I'll put out a post in the Discord and see if anyone will lend me these cards.
0: No, because you know what's going to happen? Someone's going to be like, oh, you're playing Command the Dreadward. Why is that? And then you get to provide information to them.
1: Sure. I think that's a good way of looking at it. And in the future, I should push that angle harder. That's a, a good lesson for me to take away from it.
0: My so my whole take on this is that we are a community. Sometimes people are going to help you. Sometimes you're going to help other people. Yeah, uh, what goes around comes around. All that sort of stuff. And I I think that that is just a net positive. And I think that you might have you might not have an extensive network here, but you know that Cedric does. You know that Cedric knows a bunch of people uh, who are going to that PTQ. And Cedric certainly doesn't own his
1: cards, right? Uh, I would assume not. I, I will also say, though, that Cedric remarked to me while we were there that he doesn't know anyone there anymore. He says the people have changed, and he didn't recognize the people who were playing. So take that for what you will.
0: All right. Well, there, there are 10 people that I could have asked who were at the Mox MCQ the week
1: before. Okay. At least. So, so, so I'll just bother you from this point forward. Easy game. That's fine. That's Jerry, fine. get these for me. Done. Yeah. Pack it in.
0: And I obviously not everyone has like this sort of network or whatever, but uh, it is beneficial to have that sort of network.
1: Yeah. And I do see that developing in our discord, which makes me really happy. I see a lot of people taking care of each other and props to everyone in the discord working to make sure the folks there have their cards they need and uh, are well supported. It's very heartwarming to see. We've brought a lot of people together for sure.
0: Uh, Dude, Austin sent me a a message and was like, yo, can I borrow humans for Louisville? And I'm just like, yeah.
1: Uh, Kane will be using my foiled out amulet deck in Louisville. So maybe they can battle with our respective actual owned cardboard against each other.
0: See, like you, you have no problem, like, you know, giving out things to people. And I don't either. Like, it's fine, man. Just ask.
1: Lesson learned. Get ready, Discord. I'm coming for your cards.
0: What's the worst that could happen? They say no. You're right. But yeah, Easy. For everyone else, not so easy, but you always have the option of adding more Elder Spells or Duresses or Cry the Carnariums or whatever card it is. You know, I think this standard has done a very good job of giving you the answers to fight things, and that is basically my point.
1: Yep. Trust your conclusions. Make your moves. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. Get rewarded.
0: And if you're playing a deck that's slightly outdated, it's not the end of the world.
1: Good point. Very good point.
0: Game. That is Game.
1: Mark.